Hello and welcome to Speak the Words of Cosmic Podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Mango. This is a podcast where I, who have read every book in the Cosmere by Brandon Sanderson, explain to Mango the story of the Cosmere. One book at a time. We're currently on uh, Oathbringer, the third book in the Smurmite Archive. Mango, we got a lot to cover because we're finishing part three tonight. So I'm just going to like, I, I'm, I'm going to walk you through what happened last time unless you think that you remember any of it. Because it's been a little bit longer, and also we covered a lot. Um, but the major thing is Kaladin um, met with Azor and found out. Uh, well, he didn't find out, but we found out. I told you. That uh, Azor is Vivenna from Warbreaker. That uh, for some reason she's on Roshar. She has what seems like her own awakened sword. Um, that is not as dangerous as Nightblood. But, um, so far. Because... So far, at least. Um, and uh, she revealed to him that the way they've been getting grain and stuff is they had a soul caster. But what's relevant about that is that... They used uh, aluminum to hide their soul casting yes. so that they didn't get murdered. And very specifically, they got the aluminum from Hoyd. Oh, because yeah. Because getting aluminum isn't, like, an easy thing to do on Roshar right now. They're not really advanced enough. Uh, the other big thing that happened last time... What? Oh, uh, and then at the end of it, Azor was like, all right, who are you? And Kaladin was like, we're going to take back Kolinar. Come with us. Uh, and... She's like, that didn't answer yep. my question. No, it didn't. <laughs> uh, the other big thing, but Ravenna's used to people not answering her questions. Look at Vasher. Uh, <laughs> well, he answered her questions eventually. He did. And uh, presumably eventually, Kaladin will answer her questions. Um. The other big thing that happened was uh, Shalon discovered that uh, the stuff that Vale had been doing, the kind of Robin Hood stuff, wasn't really working. Yeah, I literally named Ancient. my episode, like, the MP3 for last episode. Yeah. I named it Robin Hoodent. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the people that she had been caring for had not been receiving the food, had been going to a local gang. And uh, Shalon had a bit of a meltdown, a bit of a crisis, uh, wasn't doing great. And then she talked to Wit, and Wit gave her some therapy. And Wit, uh, one of the lines that I really liked was, uh, oh, he says, uh, accept the pain, but don't accept that you deserved it, which is just a, a line that I really like. And then Shalon returned to everybody else, and they were like, all right, we're ready to march. We're going. Kaladin had, like, a whole army behind him, and Adolin was like, I bet he's their fucking leader. <laughs> like... Of course, of course, of course, Kaladin managed to gather a ragtag group of morons to follow him into battle. Uh, he wouldn't that's, be Kaladin if he didn't that's do That's just Kaladin's character. Like, yeah, yeah. He's like Sora, but like way more depressed. <laughs> yeah, he's like Cage Force. He, he's like, you know, he has the charisma. <laughs> let's say if this was D&D. He and Sora would have the same level of charisma, but otherwise, they're completely different characters. Yes. But they have the same charisma set. They both also deeply care about the people. Like, I think Sora would be a Windrunner. Uh, what do you... Yeah, I, 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 I think so. I mean, I don't I know en those enough about themselves. any of the other... Um, yeah, that's true. I don't know any... Enough about any of the other ones. Maybe to really an edge dancer, I, based off of Lyft's ideals. I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. No, 
You don't think so? Sora would not be an edge dancer. Are you saying that because you don't think he fits the ideals that Lyft has sworn or because you don't like Lyft? I don't think that Sora would fit the <laughs> abilities that edge dancers mm. have. Okay. Like the healing, sure, but not the like slipperiness. That's weird. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't match Sora. But this week, we're starting with chapter 83, which the uh, title is Crimson to Break. I feel like if I could symbol. come up with my own, like, mm-hmm. order of Radiant out of two random abilities, then maybe I could figure out something for Sora. Yeah. But... He probably, he doesn't fit perfectly into one of the... No. But I think the closest would be, maybe not in terms of abilities, but in terms of the ideals, I think the closest would be... I mean, Sora can fly. That's true. He can. can. (laughs) And he's definitely not a skybreaker. No. (laughs) No. No. Do not speak of the skybreakers. All my homies hate the skybreakers. (laughs) You have no idea. Uh, The epigraph reads... (laughs) As the duly appointed keepers of the perfect gems, we of the Else Callers have taken the burden of protecting the ruby nicknamed Honor's Drop. Let it be recorded. From drawer 20-10, Zircon. The chapter starts, Adolin is washing his face as the others make last-minute preparations below. An assault on the palace, his home for many years. Adolin held the weapon before him, looking at his reflection in the metal. I don't have my mother's necklace, he said, or any of the other traditions I used to follow. I never really needed those. I've only ever needed you. He took a deep breath. I guess... I guess you used to be alive. The others say they can hear your screaming if they touch you. That you're dead, yet somehow still in pain. I'm sorry. I can't do anything about that, but... Thank you. Thank you for assisting me all these years. And if it helps, I'm going to use you to do something good today. I'll try to always use you that, always use you that way. He sighed, checked himself in the mirror, then made another quick decision. When he walked down the steps to the main room a short time later, he was wearing his Colin uniform. He nodded to Elokar, who was speaking with Azor. My scouts have been driven back, she said, but they saw enough, your majesty. The Voidbringer army is here, in its strength. They'll attack today or tomorrow for certain. Well, Elokar said, I suppose I understand why you did what you had to in taking control of the guard. I can't very well have you hanged as a usurper. Good work, High Marshal. I appreciate that. Elokar left Azure to take the reports from some of her men. Nearby in the in the room, a few light-eyed men saluted uh, saluted Elokar. Some of these men were opportunists, but many were loyalists. They'd brought some hundred men-at-arms with them, not as many as Kaladin had brought from the wall guard, but still Elokar seemed proud of what he had done in gathering them. Together, he and Adolin joined the Radiance near the front of the shop. Elokar waved for the High Lords to join them. Is everyone clear? Elokar asked. Storm the palace, Kaladin said. Seize the sunwalk, cross to the Oathgate platform, hold it while Shallan tries to drive away the unmade like she did in Yurathiru. Then we activate the Oathgate and bring troops to Kolinar. The control building is completely overgrown with that black heart, your majesty, Shallan said. I don't truly know how I drove away the Midnight Mother, and I certainly don't know what that I'll be able to do the same here. But you're willing to try? the king asked. Yes. Windrunner, the king said. The duty I give you and your men is to get Queen Aesudan and the heir to safety. If the Oathgate works, we take them that way. If not, you must fly them out of the city. Adolin glanced at the High Lords, who seemed to be taking all of this in stride. Are we sure this is the best that we sure this pass ugh, are we sure this path across the Sunwalk is the best way? Kaladin asked. Adolin nodded. It's the best way to the Oathgate. Those narrow steps up the outside of that plateau would be murder to storm. Our best chance is to go up the palace's front steps, 
bring down the doors with our shard blades, and fight through the entryway to the eastern gallery. From there, you can go up to the right to reach the king's quarters, or go, go straight across the sunwalk. I don't relish fighting along this corridor, Kaladin said. We have to assume that the fused will join the battle on the side of the palace guard. It's possible I can distract them if they do come, Shallan said. In the distance, drum had, drums had begun sounding, from the walls. Another raid, one of the high lords asked? Worse, Kaladin said. That's the signal that the city's under attack. Azor pushed out the front doors of the tailor's shop, and the rest of them followed. Most of the six hundred men here belong to the wall guard. Steady men, Azor called. Your Majesty, the bulk of my soldiers are dying on the wall in a hopeless fight. I'm here because Stormbless convinced me that the only way to help them is to take that palace. So if we're going to do it, the time is now. We march then, Elokar said. High Marshal, Bright Lords, pass the word to your forces. Organize ranks. We march on the palace at my command. Adolin turned as some fused coursed through the sky. Enemy surge binders. Adolin tells his tailor that if the city falls, they should make their way to the Shattered Plains. Elokar gives a spanry to an ardent that had come with Azor, and tells the man to use it in half an hour after they charge the palace to warn Yurithiru to ready their forces to transport. The ardent is nervous about fused coming for him if he uses the fabriel, and Elokar says that the entire city depends on the Alethi armies being ready at Yurithiru. Nearby, a small group of guardsmen chatted softly. We'll be fine, one of them was saying. I tell you, I saw my own death up there on the wall. She streaked toward me, lance held right toward my heart. I looked in those red eyes and I saw myself dying. Then, he was there. He shot from the tower window like an arrow and crashed into the Voidbringer. That spear was meant for my life and he changed fate, I tell you. I swear he was glowing when he did it. We're entering an era of gods, Adolin thought. Elokar raised his shard blade high and gave the command. They marched through the city, eventually the palace rising before them. Adolin summoned his shard blade. The march took them near the city wall. Here, the fused were visible, attacking the troops. A strange thumping started, and Adolin took it as another set of drums, until a head crested the top of the wall nearest them. It had an enormous stone wedge of a face, though its eyes were just red spots glowing from deep within. The monster pulled itself up by one arm. It didn't seem quite as tall as the city walls, but it was still enormous. Fused buzzed about it as it swatted along the tower, then smashed a, uh, along the wall, then smashed a guard tower. So, this isn't official art. What the? Huh? And that is what is attacking the walls of Kolinar currently. What is it? It's a thunderclast. Okay, but like... <laughs> It's 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 very unclear what is actually happening with the Thunderclass. Uh, so, Adolin realized that he, along with much of their force, had stopped to stare at the daunting sight. Keep moving, Azor called. They're trying to get in and beat us to the palace. The monster ripped apart the guard tower, then tossed a boulder the size of a horse toward them. Uh, Adolin gaped, feeling powerless as the rock hurtled toward him and the troops. Kaladin rose into the air on a streak of light. He hit the stone and rolled with it. His glow diminished severely. The boulder lurched. It somehow changed momentum, tossed away from Kaladin. It crested the city wall, narrowly missing the monster that had thrown it. All I could think of is in Captain America Civil War when they throw the car at, or whatever at, at uh, uh, they throw like the thing at Spider-Man and he's like, hey, I think you lost this. And then he throws it back at them. <laughs> that's, all I can, that's all I can think about. <laughs> Drahi rose into the air beside him, then Scar, who had lashed Shallan upward as well. We'll distract the fused, Kaladin shouted to Adolin, and if we can, we'll seize the Sunwalk. Get in through the palace and meet us in the Eastern Gallery. They zipped off. 
In the near distance, the monsters started pounding on the gates there, cracking and splintering the wood. Adolin charged, running up beside Elokar and Azor. They reached the palace grounds and surged up the steps. At the top, soldiers withdrew, shutting the palace's front doors. Adolin, Azor, and Elokar each pick a door and use their shard blades to cut a hole through it for the soldiers to enter the palace through. Adolin opens a few extra as the wall guard secures the entries. That done, he peeked in on Elokar, who had stepped through his fell door and was now inside the palace. He swept about himself with his blade in a one-handed grip, shield held in the other. Careful, Elokar, Adolin thought. Remember, you don't have plate. Adolin pointed at a platoon of soldiers. Reinforce the king's guard and make sure he doesn't get overwhelmed. If he does, shout for me. They saluted and Adolin stepped back. Azor had cut down her door, but her shard blade wasn't as long as the other two. She was leading a more conservative attack, cutting the ends off spears as they rammed out toward her men. As he watched, she stabbed an enemy soldier who tried to push through. Remarkably, his eyes didn't burn, though his skin did go a strange ashen gray as he died. A lot of my fathers, Adolin thought. What's wrong with her blade? Even with all the open doorways, getting into the palace was slow going. The men inside had formed a shield wall around the doorways. Adolin gathers a squad of soldiers to cover his flank, then bursts into the palace entry hall. The enemy thrust a dozen spears at him. He ducked low, taking a slice on the shoulder as he did a two-handed sweep, cutting a group of soldiers at the knees. The enemy dropped. Four men followed him in and raised shields at his sides. Adolin attacked forward, hacking the fronts off spears, cutting at hands. They'd cry in pain if stabbed or grunt with exertion, but they otherwise seemed muted. Adolin took his blade in an overhand grip, uh, overhead grip, felling man after man in a careful, controlled set of strikes. His soldiers protected his flanks, while the wide reach of his blade protected his front. Eyes burned, the shield white line wavered. Fall back three steps, Adolin shouted to his men, then swept outward with wide, flowing sweeps. He killed eight men in a moment and completely destroyed the defensive line. Go, he shouted, pointing with his blade. Men surged through the doorway and seized the ground just inside the entry hall. Nearby, Elokar stood tall, his narrow shard blade glittering as he called commands. The enemy finally broke, falling through the entry hall toward the narrower hallway leading to the eastern gallery. Azor enters the palace and calls for the wounded to be pulled out. She commands one of the companies to hold the far side of the room that the palace guard had retreated through, and another to sweep the wings for any hidden guards. Azor had removed her cloak and wrapped it around to her left arm, uh, presumably to use with awakening. I wanted to bring this up now because I just remembered... Back when they were first talking about Azor, one of the guardsmen said that when she appeared, it felt like something was holding them up and keeping them fighting. I feel like she was probably awakening their clothing, like Vashu would do in Warbreaker, so that, it, like, to give them more strength and to keep them standing. Adolin joined Azor, Elakar, and several of the High Lords. The enemy had formed an excellent shield wall here. They'd settled in, and men in the second rank had crossbows ready and waiting. That's going to be crimson to break, Azor said. We'll fight for every inch. They realize that the Voidbringers must have breached the city and not far from the palace. Elokar says that they can't count on the Voidbringers and palace guard fighting each other instead of allying, so they have to reach the Oath Gate as quickly as possible. He commands Azor to clear the hallway. One of the High Lords looked at the woman and cleared his throat, but then decided not to say anything. Azor commanded archers to use short bows to try to soften the enemy, but the shield wall was built to hold out against arrows. So Azor gave the order and her men advanced against the fortified enemy. Adolin looked away as the corridor became a meat grinder, crossbow bolts smacking against men in waves. The wall guard had shields too, but a crossbow could punch. Adolin had never been good at this part of battlefield fighting. He wanted to be at the front, leading the charge. 
The rational part of him knew that it would be stupid. You didn't risk your shard bearers in such a charge, not unless they had plate. An officer calls for Elokar, and the king tells Adolin to go see what it is. The officer leads Adolin to a door that had been locked from the outside, and when they cut it open, they find it filled with men in palace guard uniforms. They had gathered at the noise outside, and at seeing Adolin, a few of them fell to their knees. Your Highness, said a younger Alethi man, with captain's knots on his shoulder. Oh, Prince Adolin, it is you! Or is this... is this somehow a cruel deception? It's me, Adolin said. Sedine? Stormsman, I barely recognize you through that beard. What happened? Sir, something's wrong with the Queen. First she killed that Ardent and then executed Bright Lord Caves. He took a deep breath. We're traitors, sir. She called the guard, sir, another man said. Locked us in here because we wouldn't obey. Practically forgot about us. Adolin breathed out a relieved sigh. We're taking back the palace. Gather your men, Sedine, and meet up with the surgeons in the main entryway. They'll look you over, get you some water, take your reports. Sir, Sedine said. If you're storming the palace, we want to join. Many of the others nodded. Join us? You've been locked in here for weeks, men. I don't expect that you're fit for combat. Weeks, Sedine said. Surely it's only been a few days, Bright Lord. We've only eaten... What, three times since being thrown in here? Several of the others nodded. Take them to the surgeons, Adolin said to the scouts. But get spears for the ones who, can, who claim to be strong enough to hold them. Sedine, your men will be reserves. Don't push yourselves too hard. Back in the main entryway, Adolin passed a surgeon working on a man in a palace guard uniform. To the surgeons, it didn't matter if you were an enemy. They were helping any who needed their attention. That was fine, but this man stayed up, stared up with glazed eyes. It didn't cry or groan like a wounded man should. He only whispered to himself. I know him too, Adolin realized. Dodd? That's it. That's what we called him anyway. He reported to the king what he'd found. Ahead, Azor's men were making a final push to claim the hallway. They'd left dozens dying, staining the carpet a darker shade of red. Adolin had the distinct sense that he could hear something, a quiet voice that somehow cut to his soul. Passion. Sweet passion. The palace guard finally relinquished the hallway, retreating through two sets of broad double doors at the other end. Those would lead to the eastern gallery. Some soldiers cleared bodies out of the way, preparing the way for Adolin and Elokar to cut down the doors. The wood, however, started shaking before they could strike. Adolin backed up, ready to strike at what came through. The door opened, revealing a glowing figure. Kaladin shone with a powerful brilliance, his eyes beacons of blue, streaming with stormlight. He gripped a glowing metallic spear that, we, that was easily twelve feet long. Behind him, Scar and Drahi also glowed brilliantly. The gallery is secure, Kaladin said. The enemy you pushed back has fled up the steps. Your Majesty, I suggest you send Azor's men onto the Sunwalk to hold it. Adolin ducked into the Eastern Gallery, followed by a flood of soldiers, Azor calling commands. Straight ahead was the entrance to the Sunwalk. We pushed another force of palace guards back into the monastery, Kaladin said. We're going to need an army to scrape them out. Azor looked to Elokar, who nodded, so she started giving the commands. The king strode through the gallery, then looked up the broad stairs. Your Majesty, Kaladin called. I'm going to lead a force up to the royal chambers, Elokar said. Someone needs to find out what happened to Aesudan. What happened to this whole storming city? The glow faded from Kaladin's eyes. I'll go with him, Kaladin said softly to Adolin. Take Scar and Drahi and get Shallan to the unmade. Sounds good, Adolin said. He picked out some soldiers to go with the king. A platoon from the wall guard, a handful of the armsmen the High Lords had brought. And after some thought, he added Sedine and half a platoon of the men who had been imprisoned in the palace. Those troops refused the queen's orders, Adolin said to Elokar. They seem to have resisted their influence of whatever's going on in here, and they'll know the palace better than the wall guard. Excellent, Elokar said, then started up the steps. 
Don't wait for us. If Brightness Devar is successful, go right to Yurathibu and bring our armies back. Adolin nodded, then gave Kaladin a quick salute, tapping his wrists together with hands and fists. The Bridge Four salute. Good luck, Bridge Boy. Kaladin smiled, his silvery spear vanishing as he gave the salute back, then hustled after the king. Adolin jogged over to Shallan, who was staring along the sunwalk. Azra had claimed it with her soldiers, but hadn't advanced onto the Oathgate platform beyond. Adolin rested his hand on Shallan's shoulder. They're here, she whispered. Two of them this time. Last night, Adolin, I had to run. The revel was getting inside my head. I've heard it, he said, resummoning his blade. We'll face it together, like last time. Shallan took a deep breath, then summoned Pattern as a shard blade. Good form, Adolin said. I had a good teacher. They advanced across the sunwalk, passing fallen enemy soldiers. Azor's soldiers advanced at his command, engaging the palace guards to secure a path toward the center. As they waited, Adolin stepped up to the edge of the plateau and surveyed the city. His home. It was falling. The nearest gate had been broken completely open, and parchment flooded, it toward the, flooded through it toward the palace. Others had taken the walls via ladder crews, and those were pushing down into the city, including near the palace gardens. That enormous stone monstrosity moved along the wall on the inside, reaching up and slapping at guard towers. A large group of people in varied costumes had surged down Talon Way. The Cult of Moments? He couldn't be certain what part they'd played, but Parshmen were flooding the city in that direction as well. We can fix this, Adolin thought. We can bring our armies in, hold the palace hill, push back to the walls. They had dozens of shard bearers. They had Bridge Four and other surge binders. They could save this city. He just needed to get them here. Soon, Azor approached with a platoon of thirty men. The pathway inward is secure, though a knot of this enemy still holds the very center. I've spared a few men to scour nearby buildings. It looks like the people you mentioned, the ones who were reveling last night, are slumbering inside. They don't move, even when we prod them. Adolin nodded, then led the way toward the center of the plateau, Shallan and Azor following. They passed battle lines of Azor's soldiers who were holding the streets. He soon saw the main force of the enemy, barring the way to the Oathgate's control building. Adolin took point and swept among the enemy, burning their eyes with his blade. He broke their line, though one straggler almost got in the lucky strike. Scar, fortunately, appeared, uh, seemed to appear out of nowhere. The bridgeman caught the blow with his shield, then rammed a spear through the guardsman's chest. How many is that I owe you now? Adolin asked. I wouldn't think to keep count, Brightlord, Scar said with a grin. Drahi joined them, and they chased the routed enemy, finally reaching the control building. As Shallan had warned, it was overgrown with a dark mass that pulsed and throbbed, like a pitch-black heart. Dark veins spread from it like roots, pulsating in time with the heart. All right, Shallan said. Guard this area. I'll see what I can do. And that is the end of chapter 83. Chapter 84, The One You Can Save. It has Kaladin's symbol, and the epigraph reads, The enemy makes another push toward Feverstone Keep. I wish we knew what it was that had them so interested in that area. Could they be intent on capturing Ralalorum? Question mark? From drawer 19-2, Third Topaz. It uh, starts in Kaladin's POV. Kaladin charged up the broad stairs, followed by some fifty soldiers. Stormlight pulsed within him. Elakar led the way, brilliant shard blade carried in a two-handed grip. They twisted around at a landing and charged up another flight. Up the stairs, he said softly to Sill. Check for an ambush on each floor. Yes, sir, Commander Sir, Radiant Sir. A moment later, she zipped back. Lots of men on the third floor, but they're backing away from the stairwell. Doesn't look like an ambush. Kaladin nodded, then slowed Elakar with a touch on the arm. We have a reception waiting, Kaladin said. He pointed at a squad of soldiers. 
It seems the king lost his guard somewhere. You're now them. If we get into combat, me, me, keep his majesty from being surrounded. He pointed at another group. You men are... Beard? Uh, yes, Cal? He hesitated, then saluted. Um, sir? Behind him were Noro, Ved, Alaward, and Vasiliv, Kaladin's entire squad from the wall guard. Noro shrugged. Without the captain, we don't have a proper platoon leader. Figured we should stick with you. Beard nodded. Good to have you, Kaladin said. Try to keep me from being flanked, but give me space if you can. Don't crowd you, Lieutenant Noro said, and don't let anyone else crowd you either. Can do, sir. Kaladin looked to the king and nodded. The two of them took the last few steps up to the landing to emerge into a stone hallway. A platoon of enemy soldiers had formed up down the hall, holding halberds or crossbows. Do you not see me? Elokar bellowed. Do you not know your monarch? Are you so far consumed by the touch of the spren that you would kill your own king? At first, they didn't move. Then a few looked backward down the hallway. The palace soldiers immediately broke formation and retreated. Elokar set his jaw, then led the way after them. Kaladin sent still ahead to watch. They finally reached the royal chambers. Kaladin stopped his men near a corridor that split off to the left. There are soldiers down that smaller hallway to the left, Syl said. There isn't a single one in the room ahead, but... Kaladin, she's in there. The queen. I can hear her, Elokar said. That's her voice, singing. I know that tune, Kaladin thought. Something about her soft song was familiar. He wanted to advise caution, but the king was already hurrying forward, a squad, a worried squad of men following. Kaladin sighed, then arranged his remaining men, half stayed back to watch their retreat, and the other half formed up at the left hallway to stare down the palace guard. He followed the queen's song and entered the room. And we cut to Shallan's POV. Shallan stepped up to the dark heart. Shallan, Adolin said, we're running out of time. She tried pattern first, stabbing him into the heart as a shard blade. The mass simply split around the blade. She slashed with it, and the spren cut, then sealed up behind. Time to try what she'd done in Eurythiru. Trembling, Shallan closed her eyes and pressed her hand against the heart. Like in Eurythiru, touching the thing let her sense it. Feel it. Know it. It tried to sweep her away. And we cut back to Kaladin's point of view. The queen sat at a vanity beside the wall. Asudan, Elokar asked. She looked away from the mirror, then smiled broadly. She rose from the seat and glided to him. Husband! So it was you that I heard. You have returned at last, victorious over our enemies, your father avenged? Yes, Elokar said, frowning. He moved to step toward her, but Kaladin grabbed him by the shoulder and held him back. The queen focused on Kaladin. New bodyguard, dear one? Far too scruffy. You should have consulted me. You have an image to maintain. Where is Gav, Sudan? Where is my son? He's playing with friends. Elokar looked to Kaladin and gestured to the side with his chin. Keep alert, Kaladin whispered, then began picking through the room. Dear one, Elokar said, we heard that the city has seen trouble lately. One of my Ardens tried to refound the Heriocracy. We really should keep better watch on who joins them. Not every man or woman is proper for service. You had her executed. Of course, she tried to overthrow us. Here, Sil's voice said in his mind, across the room, behind the dressing screen. Asudan, Elokar said. He stepped forward, extending his hand. You're not well. Please, come with me. Not well? There's an evil influence in the palace. Evil. Husband, what a fool you are at times. Kaladin joined Sil and glanced behind the dressing screen. Here, a child, two or three years old, huddled and trembled, clutching a stuffed soldier. Several spren with soft red glows were picking at him. 
The boy tried to turn his head, and the spren pulled on the back of his hair until he looked up, while others hovered in front of his face into horrific shapes like horses with melting faces. Kaladin reacted with swift, immediate rage. He growled, seizing the sill blade from the air, forming a small dagger from mist. He drove the dagger forward and caught one of the spren, pinning it to the wall. He had never known a shard blade to cut a spren before, but this worked. The thing seemed to rip into a thousand tiny pieces, then faded. The other three red spren streaked away in a panic. In his hands, Kaladin felt Syl tremble. He released her and she took the shape of a small woman. That was... that was terrible. Did we... just kill a spren? The thing deserved it, Kaladin said. Syl just huddled on his shoulder, wrapping her arms around herself. The child sniffled. Kaladin glanced back at the king and queen. Oh, Elakar, the queen was saying, you were ever so oblivious. Your father had grand plans, but you, all you ever wanted to do was sit in his shadow. It was for the best that you went off to play war. So you could stay here and, and do this? I continued your father's work. I found the secret, Elokar. Spren, ancient Spren. You can bond with them. Bond? Have you seen my radiance? She asked and grinned. The Equine's guard. I've done what your father could not. Oh, he found one of the ancient Spren, but he could never discover how to bond it. But I, I have solved the riddle. Aesudan's eyes glittered, then started to glow a deep red. Storms, Elokar said, stepping back. Time to go. Kaladin reached down to try to pick up the child, but the boy screamed and scrambled away from him. That finally drew the king's attention. Elokar rushed over and knelt beside his son. The child, Gavinor, scooted away from his father, crying. Kaladin looked back to the queen. How long have you been planning this? Planning for my husband's return? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the thing beyond you. She laughed. Yelignar serves me. Or do you speak of the heart of the revel? Asher Tamarin has no will. He is merely a force of consumption, mindless to be harnessed. Elakar whispered something to his son. Kaladin couldn't hear the words, but the child stopped weeping. He looked up, blinked away tears, and finally let his father pick him up. Adolin cradled the child, who in turn clutched his stuffed soldier. Out, Kaladin said. But... The king looked toward his wife. Elokar, be a hero to the one you can save. The king met his eyes, then nodded, clutching the young child. He started toward the door, and Kaladin followed, keeping his eyes on the queen. She sighed loudly, stepping after them. I feared this. They rejoined their soldiers, then began to retreat down the hallway. Aesudan stopped in the doorway to the king's chambers. I have outgrown you, Elokar. I have taken the gemstone into me and have harnessed Yelignar's power. Something started to twist around her. A black smoke. Double time, Kaladin said to his men, drawing in Stormlight. Aesudan shouted for her soldiers to attack. And we cut to Shallan's point of view. I didn't know that was possible. You weren't supposed to know that was possible. For humans to bond with Spren of Odium. I thought that was only singers. Well, when he when they bond with the singers, right, they bond with the gem hearts. And so mm-hmm. Aesudan is saying that she took a gemstone into her and now has bonded a void spren. How? Um, she swallowed it. Uh I was thinking, like, did she commit Yeah. Did she like No, she surgically... didn't like cut herself open to do it, no. Uh, I think that would probably work too, but she swallowed it in this case. So she could digest it and then no longer mm-hmm. be under the influence. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Quick, someone give her some laxatives. <laughs> so yeah, we're in Shallan's point of view. Give it all to me, the voices whispered in Shallan's mind. 
Give me your passion, your hunger, your longing, your loss. Surrender it. You are what you feel. Shalon swam in it, lost. The voices beset her from all sides. When one whispered that she was pain, Shalon became a weeping girl. When another whispered that she was hunger, she became an urchin on the street. Passion, fear, enthusiasm, boredom, hatred, lust. She became a new person with every heartbeat. The voices seemed thrilled by this. They assaulted her, growing to a frenzy. Shalon was a thousand people in a moment. But which one of them was her? All of them. A new voice. Wits? Wits, she screamed. Wit, please. You're all of them, Shalon. Why must you be only one emotion? One set of sensations, one role, one life. They rule me, Wit. Vale and Radiant and all the others. They're consuming me. Then be ruled as a king is ruled by his subjects. Make Shalon so strong, the others must bow. I don't know if I can. The darkness thrummed and surged. And then... Withdrew? Shalon didn't feel as if she'd changed anything. But still, the darkness retreated. She found herself kneeling outside the control building. The enormous heart became sludge, then melted away. You did it, Adolin said. I did? Secure that building, Azra commanded her soldiers. Drahi and Scar glowed nearby. They'd been fighting. Shalon stood up on shaky feet. This is going to be tricky, Azor, Adolin said. We're going to have to fight back down into the city. Push the enemy out. Storms, I hope my father has our armies ready. Shalon blinked, dazed. She couldn't help feeling she'd failed, that she hadn't done anything. The first transfer will be only the control building, Adolin said. After that, she'll swap the entire platform, buildings and all. We'll want to move our army back into the palace before that happens. Adolin turned, surveying the path back. What is taking the king so long? Shalon stepped into the control building. She walked toward the keyhole control device, summoning Pattern as a blade. She studied him, then looked up at herself in one of the mirrors hanging on the wall. Someone else stood in the mirror, a woman with black hair that fell to her waist. Shalon touched her face. Why had she put this illusion on? The reflection didn't mimic her motions, but pressed forward, raising hands against the glass. The reflected room faded and the figure distorted, becoming a jet-black shadow with white ho holes for eyes. Radiant, the thing said. My name is Sejan Nott, and I am not your enemy. We cut back to Kaladin. Kaladin's men charged down the steps. Behind, the Queen's Guard set up and lowered crossbows. Silspear held high, Kaladin stepped between the two groups and pulled Stormlight into the ground, drawing the bolts downward. Kaladin growled, then drew in a deep breath of Stormlight, bursting a light. The Queen's soldiers shied back. He lashed himself to rise a few feet off the ground, then float there. The Queen's soldiers blinked against the light as if it were somehow too strong for their eyes. At last, the captain of the rear guard called the final withdrawal, and the rest of Kaladin's men rushed down the stairs. Only Noro's squad lingered. Some of the Queen's soldiers began to test forward at him, so he dropped to the floor and started down the steps at a run. Beard and the rest of the squad joined him, followed by the Queen's soldiers. Unfortunately, Kaladin heard something else echoing up the stairwell from down below. The sounds of men clashing, and a familiar singing. Parshendi songs. Rear guard, Kaladin shouted. Form up on the steps. Orient toward the upper floor. His soldiers obeyed, turning and leveling spears and shields at the descending enemy. Kaladin lashed himself upward and twisted so that he hit the ceiling feet first. He ducked and ran until he reached the ground floor. The first ranks of his soldiers clashed with Parshman troops in the eastern gallery, but the enemy had penned them into the stairwell. Kaladin released his lashing, dropping and twisting to land in a tempest of light before the Parshman ranks. Several of his men groaned and cried as they fell to the enemy spears. 
Kaladin felt his rage flare, and he lowered the sill spear. It was time to begin the work of death. Then he saw the face of the parchment in front of him. It was Saw, former slave, card player, father, Kaladin's friend. And we cut to Shallan's point of view. Shallan regarded the figure in the mirror. What are you? They call me the Taker of Secrets, the figure said. Or they once did. One of the unmade, our enemies. We were made, then unmade. But no, not an enemy. Ask my son, please. You're of him. Odium. The figure glanced to the sides as if frightened. No, I am of me. Now only of me. Shallan considered, then looked at the keyhole. Don't do it, Sajanat pled. Listen, Radiant, listen to my plea. Asher Tamarin fled on purpose. It is a trap. I was compelled to touch the spren of this device so it will not function as you wish. And we cut back to Kaladin's POV. Kaladin's will to fight evaporated. Saw recognized him and gasped, then grabbed his companion, Ken, and pointed. The Parshwoman cursed, and the group of them scrambled away from the steps. In the opening provided, Kaladin's men pushed down off the steps into the Grand Hall. They surged around Kaladin as, stunned, he lowered his spear. The large, pillared hall became a scene of utter chaos. Azure's soldiers rushed in from the Sunwalk, meeting the parchment who came up the stairs from the back of the palace. The king held his son, standing amid a group of soldiers in the very center. Kaladin's men managed to get down off the steps, and behind them rushed the queen's guard. It all churned into a melee. Battle lines disintegrated, and platoons shattered. Men fighting alone or in pairs. It was a battlefield commander's nightmare. Hundreds of men mixing and screaming and fighting and dying. Kaladin saw them. All of them. Saw in the parchment fighting to keep their freedom. The guardsmen who had been rescued fighting for their king. Azor's wall guard terrified as their city fell around them. The queen's guard convinced that they were loyally following orders. In that moment, Kaladin lost something precious. He'd always been able to trick himself into seeing a battle as us against them. Protect those you love. Kill everyone else. But they didn't deserve death. None of them did. He locked up. He froze. Something that hadn't happened to him since his first days in Amaram's army. The sill spear vanished in his fingers. How could he fight? How could he kill people who were just doing the best they could? Stop! He finally bellowed. Stop it! Stop killing each other! Nearby, Saw rammed Beard through with a spear. Stop! Please! Nora responded by running through Ja Lee, one of the other parchment Kaladin had known. Ahead, Elokar's wing of guards fell, and a member of the Queen's Guard managed to ram the point of a halberd into the king's arm. Elokar gasped, dropping his shard blade, holding his son close with his other arm. The Queen's Guardman pulled back, eyes widening, as if seeing the king for the first time. One of Azor's soldiers cut the guardsman down in his moment of confusion. Kaladin screamed, tears streaming from his eyes. He begged them to just stop, to listen. They couldn't hear him. Saw, gentle Saw, who had only wanted to protect his daughter, died by Noro's sword. Noro, in turn, got his head split by Ken's axe. Noro and Saw fell beside Beard, whose dead eyes stared sightlessly. Kaladin slumped to his knees. His stormlight seemed to frighten off the enemies. Everyone stayed away from him. Sill spun around him, begging for him to listen, but he couldn't hear her. The king, he thought. Get... get to Elokar. Elokar had fallen to his knees. In one arm, he held his terrified son. In the other hand, he held... a sheet of paper? A sketch? Shallan's sketch. 
Kaladin could almost hear Elakar stuttering the words. Life. Life before death. The hair on Kaladin's neck rose. Elakar started to glow softly. Strength. Before weakness. Do it, Elakar, Kaladin whispered. Journey. Journey before... A figure emerged from the battle. A tall, lean man. So, so familiar. Moash. No. He couldn't move. Stormlight bled from him, leaving him empty, exhausted. Lowering his spear, Moash ran Elokar through the chest. Kaladin screamed. Moash pinned the king to the ground, shoving aside the weeping child prince with his foot. He placed his boot against Elokar's throat, holding him down, then pulled the spear out and stabbed Elokar through the eye as well. He held the weapon in place, carefully waiting until the fledgling glow around the king faded and flickered out. The king's shard blade appeared from mist and clanged to the ground beside him. Elokar, king of Alethkar, was dead. Moash pulled the spear free and glanced at the shard blade. Then he kicked it aside. He looked at Kaladin, then quietly made the bridge for a salute. The battle broke. Kaladin's men had been all but obliterated. The remnants escaped along the sunwalk. A member of the Queen's Guard scooped up the young priest or prince and carried him away. Azor's men limped back before the growing parchment armies. The Queen descended the stairs, wreathed in black smoke, eyes glowing red. She'd transformed, strange crystal formations having pierced her skin like carapace. Her chest was glowing bright with a gemstone, as if it had replaced her heart. Kaladin turned from her and crawled toward the king's corpse. Nearby, a member of the king's guard finally took notice of him, seizing him by the arm. And then... Light. Glowing stormlight flooded the chamber as twin radiance exploded out from the sunwalk. Drahi and Scar swept through the enemy, driving them back with sweeping spears and lashings. A second later, Adolin grabbed Kaladin under the arms and heaved him backward. Time to go, bridge boy! And that... Is the end of chapter eighty four. God damn it, Moash. <laughs> uh, I when I read this for the first time, not no exaggeration. I slammed the book shut and put my head down on my table and just sobbed for a good five minutes. I mean, I'm not sobbing, but I am crying. Um, my hands are shaking right now. Um, Elakar was about to take the first step. He was about to swear the first ideal, and... Yep. <sighs> Chapter 84 is titled Grave Later. It has Adolin's symbol, and the epigraph reads, Don't tell anyone. I can't say it. I must whisper. I foresaw this. From drawer 30-20, a particularly small emerald. And this was from a truth watcher. Adolin shoved down the emotion of seeing Elokar's dead body. It was one of the first battlefield lessons his father had taught him. Grieve later. Kaladin stumbled along, though he didn't appear wounded. He stared with a glazed-over look. Those were the eyes of a man who bore the kinds of wounds you couldn't fix with bandages. They eventually poured out of the sunwalk onto the Oathgate platform, where Azor's soldiers had held firm, her surgeons running to help the wounded. Scar and Drahi dropped down to the platform, guarding the way onto the sunwalk. Adolin stumbled to a stop. From this vantage, he could see the city. Tens of thousands of parchment flooded in through the broken gates or across the nearby sections of wall. Figures glowing with dark light zipped through the air. Those seemed to be gathering in formations nearby, perhaps for an, an assault on the Oathgate platform. 
Adolin took it all in and admitted the terrible truth. His city was lost. He calls the retreat, telling his soldiers to let as many civilians onto the platform as possible, and that they'll be transporting the platform within ten minutes. Adolin hurried toward the control building, and Kaladin followed, dazed. After what he's been through, Adolin thought, I wouldn't have expected that anything could faze him. Not even Elokar's grieve later. Azor stood guard in the doorway to the control building. Brightness Devar told me to clear everyone else out, the High Marshal said. Something's wrong with the device. Adolin stepped inside. Shallan knelt on the ground before a mirror. Behind, Kaladin stepped in, then settled down on the floor. Shallan, Adolin said. We need to go. Now. But the city has fallen. Transfer the entire platform, not just the control building. We need to get as many people as we can to safety. My men on the wall, Azor said. They're dead or routed. I don't like it any more than you do. The king! The king is dead. The queen has joined the enemy. I'm ordering our retreat, Azor. We gain nothing by dying here. She drew her lips to a line, but didn't argue further. Adolin, Shallan whispered. The heart was a trick. I didn't chase it off. It left on purpose. I think... I think the Voidbringers intentionally left Kaladin and his men alone after only a brief fight. They let us come here because the Oathgate is trapped. How do you know? Adolin asked. I'm speaking to her. Her? Sejan not, the taker of secrets. She says that if we engage the device, we'll be caught in a disaster. Adolin took a deep breath. Do it anyway. We cut to Shallan's point of view. Do it anyway. How no. could they trust an ancient spren of odium? Shallan looked away from the pleading figure in the mirror. Pattern? What do you think? Hmm. Lies? So many lies. I don't know, Shallan. I cannot tell you. Kaladin slumped by the wall, staring sightlessly, as if he were dead inside. She couldn't recall ever seeing him in such a state. Get ready, Shallan, st Shallan stood up, summoning Pattern as a blade. Trust is not mine, said the figure in the mirror. You will not give my children a home. Not yet. Shallan pushed the blade into the lock. I will show you, Sejan not said. I will try. My promise is not strong, for I cannot know. But I will try. Try what, Shallan asked. Try not to kill you. With those words haunting her, Shallan engaged the oath gate. And that is the end of chapter 85. Chapter 86 is titled That Others May Stand, and it has Dalinar's symbol. The epigraph reads, My spren claims that recording this will be good for me, so here I go. Everyone says I will swear the fourth ideal soon, and in so doing earn my armor. I simply don't think that I can. Am I not supposed to want to help people? From drawer 10-12, Sapphire. So this was a Windrunner. <sighs> Dalinar Colin stood at attention, hands behind his back, one wrist gripping the other. Dalinar, Navani said, stepping up and resting her hands on his arm. Please, at least come inside. They thought he was sick. They thought his trouble, his collapse on the Oathgate platform had been caused by heart troubles or fatigue. The surgeons had suggested rest, but he stopped, if he stopped standing up straight, if he let it bow him down, he worried the memories would crush him. The memories of what he'd done at the rift. The crying voices of children, begging for mercy. What news, he said. None, Navani said. Dalinar. Word had come from Kolinar via Spanreed. An assault on the palace, an attempt to reach the Oathgate. Outside, the gathered Kolin, Aladar, and Royan armies clogged one of Eurythiru's Oathgate platforms, waiting to be taken to Kolinar to join the battle. But nothing happened. 
It had been four hours since the first communication. Dalinar closed his mind, eyes ahead, and stared at the expanse, at attention, like a soldier. That was, that was how he would wait. Even though he'd never really been a soldier. He'd commanded men, ordered recruits to stand in line, inspected ranks, but he himself, he'd skipped all of that. He'd waged war in a bloodthirsty riot, not a careful formation. Navani sighed, patting him on the arm, then returned to their rooms to sit with Taravangian and a small collection of scribes and high princes. Dalinar stood, wishing he could empty his mind, rid himself of memories, go back to being able to pretend he was a good man. Problem was, he'd given in to a kind of fancy when everyone told about him. They said the Blackthorn had been a terror on the battlefield, but still honest. Dalinar Colin, he would fight you fair, they said. Evie's cries and the tears of murdered children spoke the truth. How could he live with this pain? So fresh, restored anew. But why pray? There was no Almighty watching. If there had been, and if he'd had a shred of justice to him, Honor would have long ago purged this world of the fraud that was Dalinar Colin. And I had the gall to condemn Amaram for killing one squad of men to gain a shard blade. Dalinar had burned an entire city for less. Thousands upon thousands of people. Why did you bond me? Dalinar whispered to the Stormfather. Should you have picked a man who was just? Just. Justice is what you brought to those people. That was not justice. That was a massacre. The Stormfather rumbled. I have burned and burned and broken cities myself. I can see... Yes, I see a difference now. I see pain now. I did not see it before the bond. Why had these cursed memories returned? Couldn't he have continued for a little longer without them? Long enough to forge the coalition? To prepare the defense of humankind? That was the coward's route. Wishing for ignorance. The coward's route that he'd obviously taken. Though he could not yet remember his visit to the Night Watcher, he knew what he'd asked for. Relief from his awful burden. The ability to lie to pretend he had not done such horrible things. He entered the common room. Navani and the others sat on some couches around the span reed, waiting. It felt so frustrating to just sit here, ignorant, and it left Dalinar with too much time to think, to remember. Instead of sitting with the others, Taravangian had taken his normal place, a seat before the warming fabriole in the corner. Legs aching and back stiff, Dalinar walked over and finally let himself sit groaning softly as he took the seat beside Taravangian. "'I'm sorry, Dalinar,' Taravangian said. "'I'm sure news will come soon.' Dalinar nodded. "'Thank you for what you did when the Azish came to tour the tower.' The Azish had arrived yesterday for an initial tour, but Dalinar had been recovering from the sudden return of his memories. Well, truth was, he was still recovering. He'd welcomed then, then retired, as Taravangian had offered to lead the tour. Navani had said the Azish dignitaries had all been charmed by the elderly king, and planned to return soon for a more in-depth meeting about the possibility of a coalition. Dalinar leaned forward. Taravangian is the last thing I want to think about right now. <laughs> I don't want to think about him yep. sweet-talking all of these other people. He's such a sweet old man! I don't want to think about him sweet-talking all these other people into trusting him. D Dalinar can step back and Taravangian will take the lead for a little bit. It's fine. Have you ever come to the sudden realization that you're not the man everyone thinks you are? Yes, Taravangian whispered. More daunting, however, are similar moments when I realize I'm not the man I think of myself as being. We spoke once of a leader forced to either hang an innocent man or free three murderers. I remember. How does one live after making a decision like that? 
particularly if you eventually discover you made the wrong choice. This is the sacrifice, isn't it? Someone must bear the responsibility. Someone must be dragged down by it, ruined by it. Someone must stain their soul so others may live. But you're a good king, Taravangian. You didn't murder your way to your throne. Actually, Dalinar. Uh, well, Dalinar doesn't know that. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. Does it matter? One wrongly imprisoned man? One murder in an alley that a proper policing force could have stopped? The burden for the blood of those wronged must rest somewhere. I am the sacrifice. We, Dalinar Colin, are the sacrifices. Society offers us up to tread through dirty water so others may be clean. He closed his eyes. Someone has to fall that others may stand. The words were similar to things Dalinar had said and thought for years, yet Tarvangian's version was somehow twisted, lacking hope or life. Dalinar leaned forward, stiff, feeling old. The two didn't speak for a long period until the others started to stir. Dalinar stood, anxious. The Spanreed was writing. Navani gasped, safe hand to her lips. Teshiv turned pale, and May Aladar sat back in her seat, looking sick. The Spanreed cut off abruptly and dropped to the page, rolling as it landed. What? What does it say? Navani looked to him, then glanced away. What does it say? The... The capital has fallen, Dalinar, Navani whispered. The Ardent reports that Voidbringer forces have seized the palace. He... He cut off after only a few sentences. It looks like they found him, and... She squeezed her eyes shut. The team you sent, Teshiv continued, has apparently failed, Brightlord. The remnants of the Wall Guard have been captured and imprisoned. The city has fallen. There is no word on the King, Prince Adolin, or the Radiance. Brightlord, the message cuts off there. Dalinar sank back down into his chair. Almighty above, Taravangian whispered. I am so, so sorry, Dalinar. We have one more chapter. Chapter 87, This Place, and it has Adolin's symbol. The epigraph reads, Good night, dear Eurythiru. Good night, sweet sibling. Good night, Radiance. From drawer 29-29. Ruby. The Oathgate's control building shook like it had been hit by a boulder. Adolin stumbled, then fell to his knees. The shaking was followed by a distinct ripping sound and a blinding flash of light. His stomach lurched. He fell through the air. Shalon screamed somewhere nearby. Adolin struck a hard surface and the impact was so jarring that he rolled to the side. That caused him to tumble off the edge of a white stone platform. He fell into something that gave way beneath him. Water? No, it didn't feel right. He twisted in it. Not a liquid, but beads. Thousands upon thousands of glass beads. Adolin thrashed, panicked as he sank. Someone caught his hand. Azor pulled him up and helped him back onto the platform. He coughed, feeling that he had been drowning, though he'd gotten only a few beads in his mouth. He groaned, looking around. The sky overhead was wrong. Pitch black, it was streaked with strange clouds that seemed to stretch forever into the distance. They led toward a small, distant sun. The ocean of beads extended in every direction, and tiny lights hovered above them. Thousands upon thousands, like candle flames. Shalon stepped over, kneeling beside him. Nearby, Kaladin was standing up, shaking himself. This circular stone platform was like an island in the Ocean of Beads, roughly where the control building had been. Hovering in the air were two enormous spren. They looked like stretched-out versions of people and stood some thirty feet tall, like sentinels. One was pitch black in coloring, the other red. 
He thought them statues at first, but their clothing rippled in the air, and they shifted, one turning eyes down to look at them. Oh, this is bad, someone said nearby. So very, very bad. Adolin looked and found the speaker to be a creature in a stiff black costume, with a robe that seemed to be made of stone. In place of its head was a shifting, changing ball of lines, angles, and impossible dimensions. Adolin jumped to his feet, scrambling back. He almost collided with a young woman with blue-white skin, pale as snow, wearing a filmy dress that rippled in the wind. Another spren stood beside her, with ashen-brown features that seemed to be made of tight cords, the thickness of hair. She wore ragged clothing, and her eyes had been scratched out, like a canvas that someone had taken a knife to. Wait, what? So we have Pattern, we have Syl. Who would be the only other spren? I don't know who else is with them. Well, Adolin has a shard blade. <gasps> Adolin looked around, counting them. Nobody else was here on the landing. Those two enormous spread in the sky and the three smaller ones on the platform. Adolin, Shallan, Kaladin, and Azor. It seemed the Oathgate had only taken those who had been inside the control building. But where had it taken them? Azor looked up at the sky. Damnation. I hate this place. The end <laughs> of part three. Thanks, Vivenna. Yeah, really, really sad. Um, I'm distracted by the fact that dead spren can still manifest in the cognitive realm. So, they're gonna get into it. Dead spren, dead spren are, like, they're, they're gonna get into it. They're dead, but they're, they're not dead. They're, they're dead, but they're not dead. They are mindless, Mango. What other beings do we know? That in the aftermath of Baidomishram being sealed away, became mindless. The singers. Yeah, so so they're in a similar state state uh, to the singers in in Shadesmar, but um, something changed when Baidomishram was imprisoned. Is is the idea, and you see these two examples of it. There's more I can say about this, uh, but I can't until the end of part four. There's one other wrinkle I could add to this conversation that I think would help, but I I can't talk about it until the end of part four. But yes, that was that was the end of part three. A a, a action packed, lots of things happening. A very depressing part. Yeah. I don't think I've cried a single time this entire podcast. I don't think you have either. Not from sadness. Like last time, like when when Evie died, I was depressed. Yeah. Like I felt worse than I do right now. But it didn't make me uh-huh. cry. Yeah. Because I wasn't emotionally invested <sighs> in Evie. But it's still horrible. I think it, I think it's I think Elakar is like on a meta narrative level a really good example that like we've seen a lot of people that have gotten the chance to better themselves with the oaths and and like take the next step. But realistically, not everybody's gonna be able to do that. Like yeah, but it's not even the he fact was... that they're just not doing it. It's the fact that that chance is ripped from them. Yes, which I think is a is an d- extremely depressing reality of this situation, you know? Like, um, that I think that Brandon does a really great job with Elokar. And I just, I love... The scene of Kaladin on his knees begging people to stop fighting as all his friends are around him killing each other uh-huh. is one of my favorite. I just... That hurt it yeah yeah it's just like it's like his lowest moment so far Mm -hmm. like he can't act he's just 
frozen. This um. this made me realize just how separate me being upset because of tragedy mm-hmm. and me being upset because of like emo- mm-hmm. emotional investment mm-hmm. can be. Like I was mm-hmm. not emotionally invested in Evie <laughs> like at all. Yeah. But no. the f- stuff Even that happened dead, you know? in that no just the everything that happened in that episode was so depressing. This episode is not just depressing, but it's like, I was emotionally invested in this. Yeah. I've been with this character for three books. books. I have been wanting him to get a chance to better himself. I've been with Kaladin for three books, where he is realizing that he wants to protect people. And also, he was the one who told Elokar that he still had the chance to be better and not only seeing Elikar who is trying to be better get that chance ripped away from him but Kaladin the person he tried to protect dies and the person who he inspired to become better dies and is killed by Kaladin's like best friend so this is the worst and I hate you (laughs) for I've been starting looking, this podcast. I've been looking forward to this part for so long. Uh, this is around the time where a lot of people start to swear their first ideal, Mango. Um, and for a lot of people, their first ideal is fuck Moash. <laughs> um, uh, there's a lot of posts on Reddit That's that people would be like, just... That would be the second ideal. It would be. But they're like, finished uh, finished chapter, or, or finished chapter whatever, or finished part three of Oathbringer. And then the text of the post is just... Fuck Moash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. I I put myself into Moash's shoes. Like, I, I can understand that. I can understand. Yeah. He is not taking into account, like, he's mm. not there for when Elokar's trying to be better. He's not there for all of the emotional stuff that Elokar goes through. All he can mm. think about is the fact that all his family's dead. So he blames that on Elokar, and he is completely unable to think of anything past that concept. He wasn't there mm-hmm. for all of the Elokar scenes, and I can understand that. But that doesn't make me like no, him any yeah, better. No, no. <laughs> I, I fucking hate Moash, and I love him as, as, a, as a very well-written character. I think part of also uh, what's great is leading up to this part, or leading up to this, in, in, in when we had the Moash POVs, we saw that at the beginning of it he's in a state where he's questioning his views and then he's taken to humanity and in his own mind he has his views reinforced by seeing how humanity acts he sees them as not being worthy of this world at this point so not only does he have all this baggage with elicar like he switched sides at this point. He's an enemy combatant. Like, when he enters that room, he's not just there to kill Elokar. He's there to take the city for the Voidbringers. Like, you know, like, he he took the wall with Sa and Ken, and they probably fought their way to the palace. You know, like, at this point, it's not just Moash assassinating somebody that's wronged him. He's now invested in this war as an enemy as a, as a combatant you know so um it's like you know avatar one 
I'm not talking about Avatar 2. I haven't seen that. But in Avatar 1. Yeah, I haven't either. If instead of the um, Na'vi being defend, like trying to defend themselves, <laughs> if they were trying to attack the humans, and then Jake Sully joined the Na'vi and attacked the humans. Mm-hmm. That's what this is like. Mm-hmm. If the Na'vi if, were the if invaders. If he's like, yes. If not the Na'vi were the invaders, Jake Sully spent time with the Na'vi, was like, hey, yeah, the humans are actually bad. Let's um kill them all. I like the Na'vi better. That's literally mm-hmm. what this is. Mm-hmm. And it's not even necessarily that he likes the Voidbringers better. He's just like, I mean, I'm. this is the most convenient thing, so. I think he does respect the Voidbringers more, though, as Does well. he? He talks about it where he's like, he respects them a little bit more, but also he sees the cracks in them and he fights for them to be better. In one, um, it's like, hey, you should like that... not leave your own people to die in the high storm. Yes. yes. And they're like, like, why? And he's like, because they're your people and they would die. He sees areas where he believes that the, that the Voidbringers are better. And so when he sees the other areas where they're doing the same thing as the humans... He's like, no, be good, be better. Like, but also fucking Moesh doesn't know. Like Moesh doesn't realize what's happening with the fused. What do you mean? There is gray area with the Parshmen and like with the singers and with some of the fused. There's no fucking gray area with Odium. Like Odium came to Dalinar and was like, I'm not actually the God of hatred. I'm the God of passion. But like, Really, he's still, like, we saw that one POV from Venli where her people, her friends, had their lives stolen from them so that the the Fuse could take their bodies. Like... Yeah, that's so the Fuse could take their bodies. Yeah, but at Odium's, like... Odium attempted to portray himself in kind of a gray light when he appeared to Dalinar in in that vision. So that he could convince Dalinar to let him go? Yeah, but I think if you look at what... Not necessarily the fused and the singers do of, of their own volition, but what they do under the orders of Odium. It's like, dude, Odium well, the is thing is, dude, there's you a, know, like there's a difference between what they do in the name of Odium and they, what they do ex- yes. under the orders of Odium. Yes, yes, there's a difference. So I'm yes, what I'm trying to understand is which of these things are his orders and which of them are just mm-hmm. done under in his name. I think he orders them to return uh, and to 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 like take take um take you know bodies, but like I don't know if it's like a specific like order like hey go do this you personally, but I think it's like a um. This is a thing that should be done. Yeah, we need you to. I need you to do this. I need. I need you guys. I you guys are my radiance essentially. I need you to take these bodies and fight for me so that you can free um, me. So I. Because I don't want to yeah, be in so I can get the fuck... I don't want to be here anymore. I don't like this place. I want to go home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm calling mom. I don't <laughs> like it any... Cultivation <laughs> is drinking, and I don't want to, and I just want to go home. Um, don't uh, depict Odium like that. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a scene in the next book where somebody's talking to Odium, and Odium is like, I just want to be fucking gone, Okay. I, I, I don't care. Fuck you. Whatever. Just let me go. <laughs> you know? like, he's like, I don't like, they're like, but what if we do this? And he's like, I don't care. Just let me fucking leave. <laughs> just, just, just free me. 
I don't care. And they're like, uh, really no, because you're going to do bad things. But, it, but it's good. I wouldn't cause as much trouble if I was free. It's yeah, like, you'd yeah, cause it's... more trouble if you were free. Yeah. But then I'd fucking leave after I was done instead of this never-ending trouble. <laughs> you know, like... It's like, listen, if one planet has to suffer so that you stay imprisoned, so be <laughs> that's That's literally probably what Hoyd thinks, is like, as long as he stays imprisoned here, he's not going to destroy the entire universe. So, like, this this planet can suffer. It's okay. I just have to make sure that they don't free him. That's what Hoyd means in that chapter uh, towards the end of Words of Radiance. Yeah. Delinar's like, dude, I need I need you to help me. And he's like, uh, no. watch this world fucking burn. Like, uh... It's like, listen, the only reason I'm helping you is because it keeps Odium trapped. I will tell you... A theory that I can I can tell you a theory for Stormlight Five. I think Hoyt is gonna fuck him over. I think at some point at the end of Stormlight Five, Hoyt is gonna fuck them over because book after book after book, Sanderson has Hoyt telling the main characters, "Do not trust me." Even this book a little bit ago, when Shalon was talking to Hoyt, he was like, "Be wary of anybody that pro that like claims to be able to see the future." And Shalon's like, "Except for you, right? Because you just told me that you like you you know where to go." And he just goes, be wary of anybody that claims to be able to see the future. Like, he's constantly telling them, do not trust me. I feel like, yes, if Dalinar gets to a point where he decides that freeing Odium is Mm -hmm. the better option, then yes, obviously Wit is gonna Mm -hmm. betray him. Mm -hmm. But only then and only then. Because keeping Odium trapped is the in the best interest of like the entire Cosmere currently. As far as we know. I, I think the idea is like if if it was if the, if it comes down to the scenario where there's no way that they can keep Odium contained, like Odium will get free somehow, regardless of what they do. Like they 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 can't stop it at this point. And and Hoyt sees a path where they could stop him from being freed, but in the process, he would have to fuck over the people of Roshar. I think he would take that, and I think that might happen in five. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed. I forgot we were uh, still recording. Uh, <laughs> it was a it was a very good episode. Um, I'm I'm glad that this uh, the end of this part affected you, Mango, because yeah, if it didn't my makeup you, is ruined. I was worried. Thanks. <laughs> oh no, uh, guys. All these links I'm about to shout out are in the episode description, but you guys can follow us on Twitter at SpeakStormlight. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore AFK. You guys can email us at SpeakTheWordsASP at gmail.com. We have a Discord server. The link to join that is in the episode description. And you guys can follow our good friend Alks, who did the juiced cover art at Alks underscore Big Boy. Again, all those links are in the episode description. Next time, we will start part four. Well, actually, we'll do the interludes, and I think we'll get a couple chapters into part four, if I'm correct. I already have it, uh, all the notes done. Um, so I should actually give you a little tease really quick. Of, um, yeah, we are going to get in a, um, are we going to get to the first chapter of, no, we're not. Okay. Um, next time. Interludes. Oh, next time we're going to have the interludes and, uh, there's going to be a, a, a pretty cool character in one of the interludes, uh, that you haven't seen in a while. Cool. In a while. In a is, while. Is uh, it- Mango, would you like to... I'm I'm thinking either it's the one Amian guy that we haven't seen. It's not. Oh. Or it's the one character who's 
now in a wheelchair. Mm, mm, mm. Maybe. Um, actually, I can just tell you the interlude POVs for next time are um, Venley, Mem, and Scheller. Scheller. It's the worst fucking interlude. It. We'll. We'll get to. We're you said that one of them was it. familiar. Besides, and I'm assuming I didn't that's say that not the POV Venley. was going to be familiar. I just. I said that you were going to see a character that I uh, haven't seen in a while. You'll see. Uh, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destiny. And fuck Malash. <laughs> <laughs>